Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Friday, February 12th. Coming up, March break turning into April break here in Ontario. Plus, we'll talk about the upcoming Mars landing, and Netflix announces they're going to open an office here in Canada. All that coming up right now on the pod. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm a horrible scheduler. I'm just a bad, bad scheduler. Not good with dates, not good with the calendar. Hi, I'm Jeff MacArthur sitting in for Alan Carter here before a long weekend. Did How's everybody this afternoon? This? They cornered you with this? They were like, you couldn't come up with an excuse fast enough? Well, no, here's the thing and the deal and why Alan Carter is Alan Carter and where he's at and why Jeff MacArthur is Jeff MacArthur and where I'm at. You're because just, You're just too nice. He knows the schedule. He knows yeah. to look ahead and he says to himself, you know what? This Friday before a long weekend, I don't need to be doing a radio show. Nope. No. Why would I be doing that? I'll take the day off. But you're just blissfully unaware of <laughs> cruising through life. <laughs> exactly. Not, not knowing what's going on the next day. This has happened to me time and time again. You think I would learn. It is the definition of insanity to keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. But yeah. forever and ever throughout my illustrious 25 years on the air. I have never been good at looking at the calendar and saying, oh, you know what? That's a long weekend. I think I should take the extra long weekend. It's always somebody else that's smart enough. This time around, it's uh, Alan Carter. Oh, that's why we love you, Jeff. Well, thank you, Robert. And right back at you on this. A Valentine's Day weekend, by the way. Not only is it a long weekend, family day, of course, on a Monday, but as well, Valentine's coming up on Sunday. And of course, on top of all of this, Everybody is still buzzing. There's a little buzz in the air about yesterday's big announcement regarding March break. Or I guess April break now, right? Been moved from March, as I'm sure you've heard by now, to uh, the week of uh, April the 12th. And joining us now for more on all of this is our good friend from People for Education. Here is their CEO, Annie Kidder, joins us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Annie, I can see that you're as good at scheduling as I am, so uh, thanks for joining us. <laughs> I'm terrible at it, too, as a matter of fact. I was actually talking to somebody else on the phone, and my phone kept ringing. It's like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to be on the radio. So, you know, uh, it's not one of my strong points. Anyway, I, I hear you, and I feel you. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, give us your take nearly 24 hours later on the decision from the provincial government to uh, move uh, March break uh, into April, I know we've heard from teachers, teachers' unions, some parents, students as well. There's a, a lot of frustration, a, a lot of concern that this break is something that's going to take too long to get here. Well, and I think there's a kind of, on the one hand, we're, we're opening everything up, and on the other hand, we're shutting down March break. So I'm, it's a little bit confusing in terms of what's, what's the big picture here, what is the overall kind of coherent strategy that we're going for. Um, we hear the minister say, I'm listening to the medical people, but all the medical officers of health wrote a letter just yesterday or the day before saying we must have paid sick leave if these things are going to work. That, And they talked about this in their last letter saying, if we want schools to stay open, we, we have to have paid sick leave because then parents will stay home if they're sick and with their sick kids. So there seems to be a little bit of cherry picking about who's getting listened to. And it wasn't just the teachers. They did ask, you know, they, 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 they were right in saying they consulted, sort of. But principals, people who work in school boards, school trustees, teachers, support staff, all said, no, don't postpone or cancel March, March break. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit concerning the kind of 
uh, this one-off thing and when everybody's really looking for a little bit more coherence, I, understanding it's a pandemic. We've never been in a pandemic before, all of us struggling with scheduling our lives in general. Uh, but this could have been a little bit more thought out, I think. Well, March break is in March for a reason, I would think. I mean, it's just not haphazardly picked uh, that week. And I think one of the things we've been discussing in the last couple of days is there's, I don't know, a bit of a misnomer, if you will, that uh, a lot of people think, well, the kids have been out of class since uh, Christmas, just before Christmas. Mm -hmm. But there has been in-home learning going on. Students have been working hard. Teachers have been working hard. Uh, throughout this uh, entire block of time, throughout January, throughout February. So there is a real argument to be made that, uh, yeah, they do need that uh, break, that regularly scheduled break at the regularly scheduled time. Yeah, and I think that, if anything, this time has even been more stressful than usual. I don't even think that. I know that. So we survey all the principals in Ontario once a year. This year we focused uh, the survey just on COVID. Um, and we asked a lot of different questions, but one of them was about, you know, what are the sort of, how do they rank the various challenges and how are they doing? Um, and they're reporting an immense amount of stress um, and talking about, you know, the challenges that they're dealing with and saying in a slightly pleading tone, if you can say that, be pleading on a survey, we need uh, more coherent and clearer communication. So, um, the, the, the teachers, the principals, the support staff, everybody, the people running school boards, God love them, um, and students who are, you know, sometimes in virtual school, sometimes in person, dealing also with the anxiety just of the world, there is a very high level of stress. And, and we do have holidays for a reason, because we actually need them. And we know we live in Canada, March kind of sucks anyway. Um, <laughs> it's a good time to have a holiday and have a break. So it's not a little thing. Uh, to to skip this over. And we, you know, people have been talking about, based on evidence, a real worry about kids' mental health and the mental health of, of all of everybody who are dealing with this pandemic and dealing with trying to work. So breaks are, are, are important in terms of, uh, you know, being able to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. When it comes to physical health, is there a concern? Should there be a concern? I mean, this is one of the immediate things when we carried the announcement yesterday afternoon that uh, occurred to all of us is that we're hearing from some in the medical community, epidemiologists, infectious diseases experts, saying that April could be the worst of the worst because of the uh, variants that are out there right now. And this is when we're going to take kids now out of uh, class. So, I mean, when it comes to their physical health and uh, worrying about uh, community transmission and spread, I mean, maybe sticking to the original plan might have been better? Well, that's the part that I find confusing, and I am not an epidemiologist, or I can't even say it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I tried to spell it earlier. I couldn't even spell it. But So I'm not an expert in that area, but we are hearing, I mean, just yesterday from the leader of their own science table, who said we're in for, you know, a worse time ahead, nothing that anybody wants to hear. Um, So what they're all saying is we have to keep things closed down. And when people talk about schools and kids being able to go to school, the thing where there is agreement is that we have to keep the community as locked down as possible if we want, um, you know, we want kids to be able to go to school. And it is worrying because they were saying uh, that this is going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be a third wave. It's probably going to be in April. And so the worry is, are we going to get to April and go, you know, we better not have March break now anyway. And I think that 
If the worry is that people are going to travel in March break, for one thing, we haven't stopped Reading Week, which is happening this week also for nearly all colleges and universities. All those post-secondary students are not going to be going to school. And if it's travel that we're trying to restrict, then we shouldn't be opening up parts of Ontario that people are going to want to travel to. And it seems more sensible to say, this is really, really serious. We're staying in lockdown, but kids need a holiday. They need to be able to go walk outside. They need to be not sitting on screens, not being yelled at by their parents because they're not doing their work. Um, So that I think that it's more, what are we doing with our, you know, on the outside? And if I can say one last thing, all of this to us points to the need for an education task force that what we don't have right now is all the wise heads at the table together, all the people with experience. So the directors of school boards, the principals, the supervisory officers, the teachers, the support staff, the deans of education, the students, um, and and the public health people all together at one table, um, trying to work out what are the best things that we should be doing. And instead we have one-off decisions like this which, which on the education side, people really don't agree with. All right. Having said all of that, kids, students in Toronto, Peel, and York are all set to return to in-person learning on the 16th this coming Tuesday. Do you think we're, we're ready when it comes to schools? I mean, has enough been done? There's been a lot of talk as to uh, whether or not we've uh, taken this time uh, while the kids have been out of class to address things like uh, ventilation. There's also concerns uh, we've heard from parents regarding uh, rapid tests, uh, the lack thereof when it comes to a testing. Do you think that we're fully ready for back to school on Tuesday? I, I, again, I don't think I can even answer that question. I think, uh, you know, and again, the Sick Kids Report and the other medical officers of health have said smaller class sizes. We haven't actually uh, done enough probably in that area in terms of because the smaller the class size, the more physical distancing you can have. Having some kind of way of testing kids that are asymptomatic. I know we're doing more about the reporting, but lots of the spread happens from uh, people who are asymptomatic. That is an important component. It is really important that kids are in school. Uh, and that's where, you know, I think that we and we're, we all have to make sacrifices for that to happen. But that's why what nobody wants to see is kids going back to school and me being able to go to the mall at the same time that we want to have schools open, kids going back and no, no shopping, to put a fine point to fine point on it. And also real work, care and attention being paid to where there's workplace spread. And I think that that that's the kind of disconnect right now. It's like, let's not open up anything. Let's get kids back in school and leave them there for a while until March break um, to to see. Because if we start opening in, having kids going back to school at the same time, we're not going to know enough about uh, where the spread is coming from. All right, Annie, both of us admitted off the top we're not good at scheduling, but I'm glad we were able to keep this appointment. We did it. (laughs) Yes. Thanks so much for this, and have a great long weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. There's Annie Kidder, CEO of People for Education. Of course, we're all looking forward to the long weekend, but our next guest, equally excited about next week. That's right, because the uh, NASA rover uh, Perseverance is set to land on Mars And for more on this, here's the man who's very excited. Our space expert, Paul Delaney, joins us on Global News Radio. Paul, good afternoon. Hi there, Jeff. All right. uh, What is set to uh, transpire and happen uh, next Thursday? 
Well, Mars is definitely in the spotlight. Um, it's already had two new artificial satellites this week. Uh, the UAE and China have both got their satellites in orbit. And to complete the trifecta, if I can use that term, <laughs> NASA's Perseverance rover goes down next Thursday on February 18th, hopefully to the surface, to a place called Jezero Crater. And uh, Perseverance is almost a twin, an upgraded twin of Curiosity. And it landed, of course, in 2012. So it's a big week for NASA, and it's, it's been a big month for Mars. Okay, this uh, landing, uh, you mentioned Curiosity. Is it going to be very similar, pretty much the same to what we saw back in 2012? Or Perseverance, has it had a few upgrades in the last few years? Uh, well, it, uh, you can think of the technology is much better. We've got nearly a decade's worth more technology, so it has certainly more computing power. And the resolution of a lot of the instrumentation on board has been upgraded. The wheels in particular, Perseverance's wheels, are a lot sturdier than uh, uh, Curiosity's wheels. They, they've really taken a pounding <laughs> over the last eight years of running around Mars. But in large measure, if you put the two side by side, First blush, you would say they're both minivans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Having said that, can you describe for us just technically how tough something like this is trying to land on the surface of uh, Mars? Uh, the press release I've got in front of me kind of describes this as a, quote, daring sky crane landing. What exactly is that? Well, the other term that NASA loves to use is seven minutes of terror. Uh, so, you know, at the moment, Perseverance is heading towards Mars at about 21,000 kilometers an hour. And unlike other vehicles that go into orbit first and then decide to land, Perseverance is on a one-way trek straight through. So it's not slowing down in the slider. So it's going to hit the atmosphere at about 21,000 kilometers an hour. The heat shield is now going to take the brunt of that impact. So for a couple of minutes, it's going to you know, reach about 3,000-ish degrees Celsius as it plummets through the atmosphere. So it's, it's a fireball through the atmosphere. Uh, Perseverance is in control of that motion, so it's got some steering jets to make sure that it's aimed at Jezero Crater. Once we've hit the thicker parts of the atmosphere, they deploy the heat shield, and now they uh, have got... Um, a parachute that they deploy. And this parachute goes out, at, give or take a bit, a 1,000 kilometers an hour. So it's, it's really quite the jolt. Uh, it then under parachute canopy for another couple of minutes, then they get rid of it. They deploy the, uh, the undershell of the vehicle, and now they fire some landing thrusters, so some retro thrusters. That brings it down to within 20 meters of the ground. And then literally... Perseverance is winched to the ground. That's the sky crane. They lower it from about 20 metres. The moment Perseverance's wheels touch the surface, the sky crane is jettisoned, and the whole rest of the vehicle flies off to anywhere but near Perseverance. And that whole process takes less than seven minutes, and wow. it's done completely on autopilot. There is no intervention from Earth. Everything is happening with the onboard computer systems, with the radar, you name it, everybody bites their fingernails right to the quicks for that seven minutes. I bet, I bet. And why is Perseverance going to this crater, Paul? What are we hoping to discover with this mission about Mars? Jezero Crater is one of the high-stakes uh, science destinations, and we can fly into these relatively small places now because of the ability to control re-entry. Back you know, 40 years ago, we aimed for like a quarter of the planet and we got it down there, that was good. Uh, now we can shoot for like 20 kilometers. So Jezero Crater is basically uh, an ancient uh, lake bed on Mars. And we believe that the 
the telltale signatures of Mars's past are buried in the rocks of Jezero Crater. And so very much like Gale Crater, where we went with Curiosity, this is a high-stakes science area giving us insights to the past. And so all the instruments on uh, Perseverance are geared to not only finding water, but this time to also try and find the signs of organic life, looking for those fossils, if you will, the, the signatures that say, yeah, we really did have bacterial life or uh, microscopic life here in this crater. Do we still have it today? That's the other big question. So this is one of the prime targets to look for life. Now, when you talk about the instrumentation, what are the cameras like? Uh, do we know? Are we going to get the best glimpses of Mars we've seen to date? I mean, are we talking HD, 4K, 8K, 5G network? Uh, what's happening there? Well, actually, the 5G network is going to be a part of it because they are transmitting from the surface up to uh, up to the satellite system. So it's not that dissimilar to 5G. Uh, the resolution of the cameras, yeah, second to none. Um, Curiosity's imagery was really excellent. Perseverances will be, uh, whether or not it's 4K or more, uh, these are going to be very high-resolution color as well as black and white imagery. You will get the best views of Mars that we've got to date. But if you looked at the imagery that came out of Curiosity, there's nothing to sneeze at there either. I mean, I, I look at those, their archives on a regular basis, and some of the panoramas they create, you feel like you are right there. Perseverance is going to do exactly the same thing. So you and I will be in the box seat for watching what is unfolding on the surface of Mars right alongside the instrumentation that it's going to be doing the hard work science. Okay, maybe just maybe the only one with a better view might be, and a shout-out to Brock University because this mission has got some Canadian content. We've actually got a Brock University professor who's uh, working on this rover mission. That's right, Professor Schmidt. I'm not sure whether or not she pronounces her name Mariek or Maria, <laughs> but uh, Professor Schmidt is certainly part of the uh, science team that will be working with the instrument called Pixel. Uh, basically, she's looking high resolution imaging uh, and x ray analysis of the surface. Uh, the, the, the key to understanding Mars's past is literally written in the rocks. And to be able to understand composition, even the smallest scale composition, is going to give us the insights that we're looking for. And she's part of the Pixel instrument to do just that. So, yeah, we, we will have that Canadian connection. Brock is going to be very, very proud of next Thursday's landing. And, uh, you know, Professor Schmidt, yeah, I, I'll check her fingernails Friday morning. <laughs> I think all of us will be that are watching this, including everybody over at your institution at uh, York, because I understand understand you've got, uh, you know, something big planned for the uh, landing? Well, absolutely. Uh, the, the landing should take place in and around 3.30 next Thursday. Uh, from 2.30, we're going to be live uh, with YouTube uh, presenting, presenting basically what has happened with Mars exploration to date, what can we expect with Perseverance, and then we will join the seven minutes of terror, waiting for confirmation that we've got it on the ground, and then hopefully a wrap by 4 o'clock. So, yeah, the YouTube channel for the Alan I. Carswell Observatory at York University will be right up there with everybody else on the planet, uh, you know, paying attention to what Perseverance is up to. Well, here's the seven minutes of terror and then many hours of celebrating afterwards, uh, hopefully. <laughs> Hey, Paul, appreciate it as always. Have a great weekend. Take care, Jeff. Okay, Paul Delaney, our space expert from York University. Okay, back on a Friday afternoon. It used to be, you know, pre-pandemic on a Friday. One of the things you'd always talk about, ooh, what's new at the theater this weekend? Are you going to go see this movie? Have you heard about this uh, film? 
Well, here is something we have not had in some time, my friends. We have got some movie news. That's right. We got news about movie making and we got news about movie theaters. And joining us now to break it all down, longtime film critic Peter Howell is on the line and joins us here on Global News Radio. Peter, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. Uh, gee, you must be relieved to have something to talk about here, right? It's been a bit yeah, of a drought, yeah, it, hasn't it? <laughs> it? It gets kind of lonely when you're just watching stuff by yourself, you know? So, yeah, it's great. All right, well, let's start, uh, first of all, with uh, Netflix, because they've had a, a fairly significant announcement when it comes to their operation in this country, our country, Canada. Yeah, I mean, they're going to open up an office here, which, which you know, like they've opened up, I think, something like 21 other countries, which... Like we're we're even further behind in the line than we are for the for the Kovac shot, right? But um, it's a very significant thing that they want to actually have a presence here because that means that they actually notice us and and want to do more than just sell stuff to us. So I, I see that as a really positive thing. Yeah. Do we know where the office is going to be? I think they're saying either Toronto or Vancouver, and I I think you could make a case for either. Obviously, we'd prefer Toronto, but um, you know, there's a lot of production done both in Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah, is one right now kind of out distancing the other when it comes to film, TV, movie production? You know, I haven't seen the numbers. I know Toronto does extremely well. Like, you know, um, I don't have numbers right at hand, but um, I, I, I would guess, just I guess being a home a home team player, it's uh, Toronto's beating Vancouver, but they're both very strong in production. Uh, you know, obviously COVID has changed things, but uh, I think we're both uh, pretty competitive. Mm -hmm. But regardless, needless to say, this announcement from Netflix, welcome news, and this means that uh, more productions, either Toronto, Vancouver, but for Canada overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, you figure out the fact that the Schitt's Creek and Kim's Convenience, once Netflix picked those up, just completely made them like a, like a basically an international event, right? They were loved in Canada already. And so when Netflix is such a powerful presence now that just getting just getting them to notice us and to put us on the radar and to and to develop stuff here, that 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 I think is a very good very good thing. Well I was about to ask you, do you think Schitt's Creek really had a, a lot to do with this that uh, really kind of refocused a, a lot of entertainment companies, including Netflix, back on us here in Canada, north of the border? You know, I think so. I'll tell you a story that uh, way back in the 90s, when I was a young a young movie critic, I remember calling up people in Hollywood, and and they would say, "Where's Toronto? Is is that somewhere in California?" I mean, that that's an absolute true story. But the the Toronto TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival, put us on the map as far as movies were concerned. We became we became an Oscar launching pad with American Beauty in 1999. That's where we we launched the Best Picture from there. From there on, Hollywood really started to pay attention to Canada, and it's it's kind of hard to believe, but that's that's true that uh, the Americans mm. would prefer to just sort of ignore us. We're just, we're sort of the the, um, the the kindly neighbors up top that they kind of ignore. So for them to actually pay attention to us, so something like Schitt's Creek, I think, really was a door opener, and and I think this is it looks it looks good for the future. Yeah, well, I was wondering what Netflix. Do we know what their plans are? I mean, are they going to do things like Schitt's Creek and tell Canadian stories with Canadian uh, producers? Is there some sort of, or should there be? Do you think, Peter, some sort of Canadian content uh, attached or associated with this? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I, would, I would hope so, and I would think so. I mean, uh, I would. When it comes to something to do with the Americans, uh, counting on them to, to tell a Canadian story is is not a, that's not a bet you want to make. You basically have to force them to do it, or or, or have really both the carrot and the stick to get them to do it. They're not going to volunteer to tell our stories. So I hope they will. I mean, um, Ted Sarandos is an interesting guy. He's really interested in a lot of stories. And that Netflix, the Netflix chief, he's interested in a lot of stories. He he wants to do more than just sort of um, you know sort of colonize a foreign market. I mean, he's made an effort in Europe, for example, to to tell local stories there. So I'm hoping that the same the same goodwill will extend towards Canada. 
Yeah, and do we know at all, uh, Peter, whether or not there's a deal with Netflix to bring them here? Does it consist of any sort of uh, tax breaks? Uh, because uh, some people are wondering if there are incentives or sweeteners in there, particularly when uh, Netflix, uh, to your point uh, earlier, they certainly have seen us as consumers of their uh, product, but uh, they have not been taxed when it comes to doing business in this uh, country, which has irked a lot of other uh, businesses. Yep. We've also, uh, you know, to your point about telling Canadian stories that we've just been uh, talking about as well, there's been no real Canadian content uh, quotient or uh, law there as well. Are some of those things going to change with this deal, do you think? Well, I don't, know the, I don't know the specifics of the deal. I'm not sure if they've been made public yet, but um, I would hope so. I mean, I would hope our government... I mean, we made a deal with Netflix about five years ago, the, the, the federal government, um, which a lot of people weren't very happy with. And at the time, they, they, a lot of people felt they kind of sold us out to Netflix. So I'm hoping that, that whatever is happening now is a, is a much better initiative that will benefit Canada more directly. I, I think that just the very fact that Netflix is going to have a physical presence here uh, that speaks volumes to their intention, I think, to actually um, to, to you know make Canada part of their plan rather than just use Canada. Joined by film critic Peter Howell. Uh, Peter, also making news on this Friday, Cineplex, they have announced that they're actually going to uh, open theaters in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick uh, today. Do we have any uh, details on how they're actually going to do that? Well, once again, you know, it's, that's like a corporate decision, right? I think it all—it's all subject to COVID protocols, right? Um, there's this, there's there are theaters across Canada that are open now already, uh, just the, in every locality where where they allow it. And I think in Ontario, you might see a, a few in eastern Ontario places like that. I mean, I know they really want to open. There's there's um, talk about pent up demand, right? So um, it's just going to be a, a case by case and a and a city by city basis. But uh, there's definitely the desire there to do it. Yeah, in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, they're reopening at 50% capacity today with a maximum of 100 people uh, per auditorium or uh, movie screening uh, place. That sounds optimistic, yeah. Yeah, having said that, though, do you think, uh, I don't know, is the product there? Uh, there's pent-up demand, but is there a supply? Are there movies to see? <laughs> I believe you, the supply is definitely there. There's something like 22 films that open today alone, canvassing almost every type of uh, movie you can think of. So, yeah, it's, it's there, and uh, it, it, it can go to the big screen if people want it. All right. Well, you say people want it. I think there's, uh, you know, pent up demand there. There are people that uh, really have missed the experience of going to the uh, movie theater. But do you think it's going to take and we keep talking about this, whether it be public transit, just going to a restaurant uh, once again, is there going to be a bit of a hesitancy, do you think, uh, to go back into even a semi crowded theater? I think there will be. I think, you know, I think that um, until until a large number of people get the vaccination, like more than like 60 percent get the vaccination, I'm, I'm just going my own opinion here. Um, I will not want to go to a theater with, a, with any kind of sizable crowd. I mean, I've, I've seen about half a dozen movies in theaters in the past year. And in each one, there were fewer than five people in the room. And even then, I felt... I felt kind of weird about being there because I was in an enclosed space with other people. Mm -hmm. That's how strange it is. So I, when, when you're talking about 100 people in, uh, in the Maritimes, I don't think I would go to a theater with 100 people in it right now, um, even even with double masking. And um, but, I, but I would if there was widespread vaccination had already been achieved. And I think I suspect that's anecdotally the people I've talked to. I, I think that they would do that as well. I, I do think people miss the experience, the big screen experience. I mean, I certainly do. So I, I think I think you'll see uh, theater going will follow vaccination. Okay, because do you think the movie business, has it been hurt by that? I mean, the theater business uh, long-term by COVID and the pandemic, or do you think that people will eventually return to the theater? Because I think there is something, and there are certain pictures, certain movies that 
they're just better not only on the big screen, but with the collective, watching it with a group. Yeah, um, I think, it, you know, it's a real tough call, but I think that some of the smaller theaters may have trouble hanging on. You know, these would be like maybe the art house type theaters where they weren't getting huge numbers to begin with. And to, to radically reduce what they were receiving, I think it's going to be a real hit. I think you might see some of the mall theaters close because maybe not all the shopping malls will survive, What you know, COVID. But I do think that you'll have most movie theaters will survive. They'll find new ways to um, to attract people. They'll, you know, they're, they're very, very resourceful. There's other things you can do with movie theaters than just um, than just show movies. Like uh, the the one at uh, Dundas and Young, they they have Ryerson classes there. They've done quite well with that. So I think I think you'll find that the the bigger ones and the the better the better located ones will survive. But some of the smaller ones and in smaller towns may have trouble hanging on. All right, Peter Howell with us on this Friday. Peter, appreciate the time as always. Have a great long weekend. No problem. Nice talking to you. Talk to you. Have a good weekend. Yeah, Bye-bye. you as well, Peter Howell there with us and. Yeah, I think the sentiment Peter was expressing there, uh, Mary, Rob, I want to ask you about this as well. I think a lot of people feel similar that, you know, you really miss the movies, you miss the movie theater and the experience. But until we get the vaccines and until the vaccines get into uh, arms and we get some sort of a real kind of herd immunity, uh, Mary, I don't know how many people are going to feel comfortable enough getting into an enclosed space, even with distancing and masking going on. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to think about all the sanitizing that needs to occur and people are touching things and they're going to the concession stand and they're, you know, kind of all moving in a similar direction, you know, so it would be really tough. And I think, you know, getting that vaccine is going to make a big difference for a lot of people. I miss it, though. I miss going out to the movies and I can't wait to get back. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, because last I checked, movie theaters, not so great with the sanitation. <laughs> oh, the floor? Oh yeah. My. <laughs> the gum why, on the seat. Why do I feel like I'm walking in quicksand trying to leave this seat? So yeah. well, what about you, Rob? Do you really miss the movies? Uh, I only really went about once or twice a year anyways. Well, and I used you were to, a projectionist, used, exactly, right? Exactly. So I still have PTSD from that, right? That was like 10 years <laughs> of my life. So the smell of popcorn has me in the fetal position. Uh, on the floor, so you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. But, but I did like going around Christmas or you know in the summer when there's a blockbuster. You know, I still went, but just not, not as much. Yeah, I mean, as much as home theaters have uh, come along and they really are sophisticated uh, now, and it's uh, amazing uh, the big sound and the picture that you can get uh, without having uh, you know three rooms full of equipment anymore. It's still just not the same to me for certain films, like action films and particularly like a really good comedy. I love watching a really good comedy in In a a movie theater. Yes. Nothing beats it. Everybody together because uh, laughter, Mary, it's contagious, right? It is. And it's the best medicine, right? When we talk about this pandemic and what everybody's going through, bring on the laughter. We need more of that. And if we can do it, you know, together in a space, I don't know, maybe it's like every other row or you know, sort of enough spacing that people will feel feel comfortable or, you know, there's cardboard cutouts in the seats so that, you know, okay, those are not the ones to sit in or, you know, you just wear your uh, hermetically sealed outfit and go and enjoy. But, you know, with laughter in a full full theater, that's Mm -hmm. that's a problem, right? You got a lot of moisture in the air and stuff like that. So very true moistly. you know yeah. but and like moistly <laughs> that's right and and you're <laughs> right laughing moistly anytime there's a new james bond movie i go to see it in the theater because it's always better on the big screen right so, yeah yeah got to got to and who knows i think the last we heard it was going to be april but that's uh, been postponed like i mean this movie the latest bond film which is craig's last 
has been sitting there on the shelf for I think what like year twelve, if not eighteen yeah. months. Yeah, like he might a year even and change and a half. his mind by the time it comes out. He might be like, oh, actually, no, I changed my mind. I want to be Bond again. <laughs> also, there's a billboard at Bloor and Parkside that's still up. Like promoting it, it kind of cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, although it doesn't say coming soon anymore, no. it just says right, coming. Right. That's right. Eventually, yeah. maybe. Yeah. At some point. <laughs> coming eventually, maybe at some point. James Bond. Keep watching. As we mentioned last hour, the government has finally announced a date. It's February 22nd for those hotel quarantines to go into effect. Here's Minister Patty Haidu with some further details. There will be a number of hotels to choose from near each of the four international airports accepting flights in Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal. Costs of these hotel stays may vary slightly at each location. It is up to the traveler to choose where they wish to stay and book in advance of departure. The price will include costs associated with the room, food, cleaning, infection prevention and control measures, and security, as well as transportation. All right, joining us now, our travel expert, Marty Firestone, is on the line here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Marty, happy Friday. Same to you. Same to you. Thank you, sir. Okay, the date is February 22nd. Uh, What is the word this afternoon in and amongst the travel industry? Confusion. It is absolutely bizarre what's going on. We are no clear whether it's 2,000 a person, 2,000 a room, whether a couple goes to one room, what happens if your test comes back after one day and not three? Is it still the same price? I am just getting calls, and people have no idea what's going on right now. Yeah, and adding to that confusion, I think, was the minister's comments, Marty, we just played there, that the price may vary. I mean, that sounds like something I hear on, a, I don't know, a late-night TV commercial. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'd love to see how it's going to be presented, that you've got these 12 hotels on the Toronto Airport Strip, for instance. This one is, you know, $1,540. This one's $1,700. I, I don't know what it means. And then, of course, the biggest thing is, I mean, who's kidding who? You can avoid all that if you drive or fly to Buffalo and take a car over the border. There's going to be no hotel quarantine on land trips. I can see that right now. Yeah, now the minister there in the clip we played again was trying to kind of give us a sense of uh, what this $2,000, what it all constitutes. Usually when you go to a hotel, uh, when you check out, if you remember way back when, uh, you would get an itemized list, a a breakdown uh, of expenses. Uh, Do you think we're going to get that here from the government? No, I think it's going to just say quarantine fee. I mean, again, I don't know, but I'm just suggesting it may do that. But I would like to know what would happen if someone doesn't have the money to pay for it. Like, you give a credit card upon arrival, and then they, they run it through, and they've locked up 2000 of your dollars. It's, it's just there's so much more to be told, and I don't know when it's going to come out. We're 10 days away, so people have a lot of thinking to do right now. You bet. There's a lot of confusion. There's also building anger over this, chiefly amongst snowbirds. They're not happy, Marty. In fact, the Snowbird Association, they're out uh, basically saying that uh, their members, snow snowbirds, really aren't travelers. They shouldn't be considered travelers. I, I, I'll agree to the point where they really aren't a two-week vacationer on a beach sipping margaritas. They are going down to properties they own. They are masking. They are social distancing. They're probably being what they say bubbling down there as opposed to bubbling up here. But if you want to wear the other hat for a moment, uh, our prime minister has told us you are not to travel for anything non-essential. And it's almost like I told you so. And now you're going to face the music. Right. And as we were discussing uh, last hour with so many things regarding this uh, pandemic situation, circumstances have changed. Things have changed here when it comes to uh, travel. But uh, do you expect that the Snowbirds and the Snowbird Association might even challenge this in court? I don't think so. I think they've asked 
And the answer is absolutely no. So now there's decision time. This is the decision to either get back before the 22nd, come back and fly and stay in a hotel, drive and not stay in a hotel, or extend your trip, extend your travel insurance, and stay there until the restrictions get lifted. But that's a scary thought. What if they don't get lifted till June or July? You're not going to be sitting down in Florida in, in the middle of July, I don't think. Well, I was going to ask you, do you have a sense of what uh, maybe your clientele, uh, snowbirds in general, what they're going to do? I mean, you just laid it out there. They only have so many uh, options. Is it kind of sit there and wait? Or do you think a lot of people are uh, making uh, plans post-haste? They're trying to get back ASAP. No. I think the snowbird season can't end on February the 21st. I see them doing the following. Either they're going to stay and extend the insurance, or they're going to, if they have a car down there, drive home. If they don't have a car, they have the option of flying to a local border city and then renting a car and going over that way. Those are what I think the options will be. Joined by our travel expert, Marty Firestone. Marty, also making travel news on this Friday, we've got word that Air Canada has purchased Air Transat. What do we know about this deal? Well, it, it once was supposedly $550 million and somehow yesterday it was 190 So it was distress, I guess, if you had to put it that way. And it's a consolidation. And what comes with consolidation, of course, is, you know, we're going to lose some, some, some fighting on prices. So I think at the end, it's going to be uh, a problem for the consumer who had one less choice to go to now. And Air Canada Vacations and, and Air Transit, I'm sure they battled on the same routes and had attractive pricing. And now that's just one extra player out of the picture now. I was going to ask you, bad news all around uh, for consumers, less choice means less competitive pricing, and also, uh, sadly, there might be some synergies, job losses, that sort of thing going on here. hundred percent, although the government did say uh, to okay the deal, you have to keep certain things in place, like head office and, and, and various other things, but who's kidding who, at the end of the day, a consolidation like this just takes a, a player out of the, out of the business and, and ultimately could lead to uh, higher pricing. And is this just the tip of the iceberg, do you think, the longer this pandemic goes on, the longer we've got travel restrictions in place, that uh, nobody's on airplanes, that the planes are not flying their regular routes, we know they're not now going to the uh, Caribbean, uh, the worst this is going to be, and we're, we're going to see some more of this? Yeah, today's announcement actually just killed any travel. Like, I believe people that were planning on travel will not. My only concern now is the ones who are already out of the country, so that's the only problem at this point. But uh, it's, it's, it's pretty bleak, very bleak out there. All right, Marty, appreciate the time on this Friday. Have a safe and happy long weekend. You too. Take care. All right, Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure, our travel expert.